0: Listen to what could go right wherever you get your podcasts. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code IBM. Let's create. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today, we're reflecting on the largest mass kidnapping in U.S. history, including the desperate acts that brought all the victims home again. The day was July 15th, 1976. Three men kidnapped a school bus driver and 26 children in Chowchilla, California. The abduction occurred on a quiet road in Madera County as students were being driven home from summer school. The bus was discovered later that evening, completely empty and hidden by brush in a drainage ditch nine miles west of town. As for the abductees, 55-year-old bus driver Ed Ray, and the children, who were between the ages of 5 and 14, they were transported 100 miles north to a rock quarry in Livermore, just outside of San Francisco. There, a large moving truck had been prepared for them, buried 12 feet underground. The victims were forced inside the 8 foot by 16 foot trailer, which was then covered with hundreds of pounds of dirt and plywood. Buried alive, Ed and the children were left to wait as their captors went to call in their ransom demands. Luckily for the victims, though, things didn't go according to plan. July 15th marked the second-to-last day of Dairyland Elementary's summer school program, which was really more like a summer day camp. Kids had spent the day playing, making crafts, and swimming at the community pool. Some of them were still in their bathing suits, dripping wet as they boarded the bus that late afternoon. Their driver, Frank Edward Ray, better known as Ed, had been a part-time school bus driver for more than two decades. He began his familiar route that day as usual, but as he drove down Avenue 21, he noticed a white van parked in the middle of the road with its hood open. There wasn't enough room for Ed to drive around it, and before he could even try, a man wearing pantyhose as a mask appeared at the bus doors. He brandished a pistol and ordered Ed to let him in. The bus driver complied, and the man in the pantyhose climbed aboard the bus and was quickly joined by two other men in masks. Ed was taken to the back, and one of the kidnappers took his place at the wheel. After driving for about 15 minutes, the bus made a sharp turn into a dry riverbed. The kidnappers then concealed it there, beneath bamboo and tree brush, and then herded Ed and the frightened children into two separate box vans. The van's back windows had been painted over so that no one could see in or out and the kidnappers also installed wood paneling to act as makeshift jail cells. Once inside, the victims were driven around for nearly 12 hours without access to food, water, air conditioning, or toilets. One of the kids, a nine-year-old girl named Jennifer Brown Hyde, later recalled the ordeal, saying, I felt like I was an animal going to the slaughterhouse. When the vans finally stopped, Their destination turned out to be not a slaughterhouse, but a rock quarry. The victims, 19 girls, 7 boys, and bus driver Ed Ray, were taken out of the vans one at a time and led to an enormous hole in the ground. At the bottom was a large tractor trailer from an old moving truck. The hatch on top was open, and each victim was forced to enter it by descending a ladder. Once Ed and the kids were all inside, the kidnappers pulled up the ladder and placed a steel plate over the opening. They weighed down the plate with heavy tractor batteries and then covered it all up with plywood and dirt. With their work complete, the three kidnappers drove away. It was about 3.30 in the morning when they left, and they wanted to call in their ransom demand before calling it a night. In the meantime, their entombed victims tried to make sense of their increasingly grim situation. They were told nothing about the kidnappers' plans, but the underground prison seemed to suggest they weren't meant to die there. For one thing, the kidnappers had fashioned toilets for them in the wheel wells of the trailer. There was also a small supply of provisions. Bread, water, peanut butter, and a few boxes of cereal. Most importantly, there were two ventilation pipes that provided fresh air from the surface and several electric fans to keep it circulating. With no way out and no clue how long they'd be in there, Ed did his best to keep the children calm as they settled in to do the only thing they could. Wait. Meanwhile, back at their hideout, the kidnappers were ready to place their big call to the Chowchilla Police Department. The plan was to demand a $5 million ransom in exchange for the safe return of Ed and the missing kids. But here's the thing. The kidnappers were never able to deliver their demand. While they'd been busy burying dozens of people alive, the small town of Chowchilla had worked itself into a proper panic. Worried parents flooded the police department with phone calls, eventually jamming up the entire local phone system. So when the kidnappers finally tried to call in their demands, multiple times, they were never able to get through. Exhausted and annoyed, the kidnappers decided to take a nice long nap and then try again when they woke up. After all, it's not like their victims were going anywhere. Or at least that's what they thought. Back in the Livermore Quarry, conditions underground had gradually worsened as the hours ticked by. Several electric fans had been installed to keep the air circulating, but by the afternoon of July 16th, nearly all of them had stopped working. The occupants were out of food as well, and the makeshift toilets they'd been given were on the verge of overflowing. The entire trailer stank of urine and vomit, and in the midday heat of a California summer, the temperature inside rose to at least 100 degrees. The chances of anyone making it out alive were slim, And looking slimmer by the minute. It was around that time that one of the oldest captive children, 14 year old Michael Marshall, began to plan their escape. Bus driver Ed Ray had counseled against trying to find a way out for fear that their kidnappers would be waiting on the surface, ready to gun down anyone who tried to run away. However, that valid concern held less sway as their captivity stretched on, prompting Marshall to take matters into his own hands. Together with a friend, he was able to pry up the mattresses that lined the floor of the trailer, and then stack them near the upper hatch. Marshall climbed to the top of the pile, armed with a wooden slat taken from one of the box springs. He shoved it into the crack between the trailer and the steel plate that covered the opening and started trying to pry up the plate. He soon created enough space that he could grip it with his hands. With the help of his friend and Ed. Marshall pushed the plate up and down until he was able to dislodge the tractor batteries, plywood, and dirt that held it in place. It took hours of effort, but eventually they made their way to the surface, emerging from the trailer at about 7.30pm on July 16th. It had been 27 hours since their initial abduction, and 16 hours since they'd been buried underground. Thankfully, none of the kidnappers had bothered to guard the quarry as Ed had feared. The rest of the kids were able to scramble up the mattress pile, and together they made their way to the quarry office, where a stunned employee helped them contact the police. They were all taken to the Santa Rita Rehabilitation Center, a nearby jail where they were fed and examined by a medical team. When they were given the all-clear, the 26 children and their bus driver were escorted back to Chowchilla, arriving just before dawn on July 17th. By that time... News of their escape had broken, sending the kidnappers deeper into hiding. A national manhunt ensued, and within two weeks, all three of them were apprehended. The supposed mastermind of the crime was 24-year-old Frederick Newhall Woods, the son of the owner of the rock quarry in Livermore. His accomplices were 24-year-old James Schoenfeld and his younger brother, Richard. It was revealed that all three men came from wealthy families in San Francisco, but had failed to achieve financial success on their own. At one point, the men had talked about making their fortunes in Hollywood, and even started working on a screenplay about a gang that pulls the perfect crime. Apparently, they had so much faith in the idea that they decided to scrap the movie and just commit the crime themselves. In November of 1975, they took the first step, by burying a moving truck in Wood's father's quarry. They then spent the next half a year planning how to intercept a school bus, transport and house their victims, and arrange the ransom. It turned out they could have used a bit more planning for that last part. If you're wondering why the men chose a school bus for their target, James Schoenfeld later explained that it was simply because they figured kids would put up less of a fight. Each of the three kidnappers was ultimately given 27 sentences of seven years to life in prison, with no chance of parole. However, in 1980, an appeals court determined that since the men had not caused any serious bodily harm to their victims, they should be entitled to the possibility of parole. 36 years after the kidnapping, Richard Schoenfeld was granted parole in 2012. Three years later his older brother James was paroled as well. Frederick Newhall Woods remained in prison, perhaps because the whole kidnapping scheme had been his idea. In 2019, Woods was denied parole for the 17th time, but in late March of 2022, Fred Woods, now in his early 70s, was recommended for release by two parole commissioners. As of the time of recording, no date has been set for Woods' release and the case could still be subject to review. But there's a strong chance that he'll be set free before the end of the year, and Woods himself seems to like his chances. He's already dipped into his considerable family trust to buy himself a mansion, just half an hour from where he's serving his sentence. Meanwhile, the young children Woods and the Schoenfelds tormented are now in their late 40s and early 50s, Many of them suffer from intense anxiety, as well as claustrophobia and chronic nightmares. Jennifer Brown Hyde, the nine-year-old who felt she was being led to slaughter, spoke out recently about this lasting trauma and how it's now affected her own kids. She said, quote, It's not normal for someone who's almost 50 years old to be afraid of the dark. And if you have a very overprotective parent, which would be myself, Your children also don't get to lead a normal life. Get on a bus, go on a field trip, stay the night with a friend. And that's been very difficult. It's been a life of hard work, trying to be normal. Today, there's a granite monument dedicated to the victims of the kidnapping. It stands near the Chowchilla Police Department, the place where Jennifer and the others were reunited with their families. Not far away, the city's largest park now bears the name of Edward Ray, the man who protected the kids in his charge, and later provided investigators with vital clues about the kidnappers. These are fitting tributes to the innocents lost on that day in 1976, but many believe that a better sign of respect would be to carry out the full sentence for at least one of the men responsible for their trauma. Fred Woods has expressed remorse for his actions and claims to be a different, better man than he was all those years ago. That might be enough in the eyes of the law to secure Wood's release, but it's not in the eyes of one of his victims, Linda Correjo Labandera. When she heard the news of Fred Wood's parole, she posed a very difficult question. If your child was kidnapped and buried alive, how long is long enough? I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again soon for another day in history class. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Mosley, and I want to let you know about my new immersive BBC Radio 4 podcast series, Deep Calm. It's all about how to tap into and activate a remarkable system that we all have, hardwired, inside of us, our relaxation response. And it's been developed to be listened to at any time you want to really unwind. I hope you'll listen wherever you get your BBC podcasts.